0: Write in Sin City, a podcast about writers and writing in the Windsor-Detroit region. Your podcasters today are Irene Moore-Davis, author, educator, and local historian, Kim Conklin, Windsor-based writer and filmmaker, and me, Sarah Jarvis, former bookseller, publishing rep, and literary festival chair. W.S. Penn is a mixed-blood Native American, Nez Perce, who was a Washburn Distinguished Lecturer and has won the Distinguished Faculty Award at Michigan State University. He is the author of two novels, The Absence of Angels and Killing Time with Strangers, a collection of short stories titled This is the World, and two collections of essays, All My Sins Are Relatives and Feathering Custer. He has won many literary awards, including the North American Indian Prose Award and a Critics' Choice Award. Raising Bean Essays on Laughing and Loving is his most recent book. Welcome to the podcast, Bill. Thank you very much. I'm happy to be here. Great. We're happy to have you. Yes. So Raising Bean is a collection of essays that sometimes feels like personal letters to your granddaughter, Clara, or Bean, as you call her. Each topic is inspired by some interaction with the five-and-a-half-year-old Clara, but the essays are meant for a much older version of her. What was your inspiration for writing this book?
1: Wanting to leave something for Clara, and of course, I now have her brother, but wanting to leave something for Clara that involved some kind of oral telling and exemplified what her uncle is now, he's a, he's a philosopher at, at, at Milwaukee, he calls process realism. But in the processes of being alive, of being, and trying to have a sense of humor about it all. So it was her. It was all for her. That, she was my inspiration. She still is a lot of it.
0: How old do you think she should be when she reads it?
1: That's a question that that her mother and my son-in-law will have to deal with. (laughs) Um, I think she could read some of it probably soon, but I think there are other things maybe they might want to wait on. And I don't mean to be vague, but I don't want it to be telling her how to be. I want it to be something that she can go back to for a kind of guidance. Much the same way as I go back to my own grandfather it's not alive anymore, but I still go back to him in my thinking to find out what it is he thinks I ought to do in a particular situation. And I'd like her to have that. My guess is 15 probably would be a, a more likely age. If it gets to be 20, that's fine by me too. And heaven heaven knows she may decide she doesn't want to read it at all
0: well i can see that she might want to revisit it because it's one of those pieces that's very accessible but there's a lot to think about when you read it
1: i hope there is and i hope some things will make her laugh i mean that's something she's got it's taken her eight years to get used to the fact that that bumpa grandpa always jokes i mean i i don't tease because she doesn't take teasing very well but I'm always joking. She now looks and says, look, she frowns. She says, you're joking, aren't you, Bumpa?' But I want her to be able to laugh. Our world has a, a, so little laughter in it nowadays that the more she gets, the better she'll be, you know, I think.
2: One of the things you talk about in this book is the differences between Native and non-Native storytelling. For Native storytellers, plot is not important. Process is why is that and and what are some of the other differences between the two types of storytelling
1: well my my son actually has a book coming out his first book titled what's really going on and it is he and i have argued now for years while he was writing this book about who decided process was more important than anything else first and we all know it was me because I'm older. <laughs> he, he was, but he won't quite admit that. He's very articulate about it. He's a lot more articulate than I am being a philosopher of physics, of science. But process is all there is. You are not a thing, even though you can read a description of, of me. That's not me. You and I both are how we are. And if somebody says I'm a good person, they go around doing bad things, and we have a lot of political examples of that, they're not good people. I'm sorry. So their processes are are messed up and they are, as my son would say, they are engaged in flawed metaphysics. But as I would say, is that they're just not being decent people. And and I do think that that brings up everything else. About our world that we care about, because I.B. Singer was was I think the person who convinced me ages and ages ago um, that love—if you didn't—if you had a novel that didn't have love in it, you probably didn't have a very good novel. Um, doesn't mean everything has to pan out; everything has to be you know rosy at the end, but there has to be love if it's about human beings. There has to be love involved in the story, and I think that's kind of the way I grew up. I I would sit on my grandfather's porch and I would just sit with him. Sometimes he'd speak, sometimes I'd speak, but sometimes I'd just sit with him. And that Being with him was what was important, not what was said, as much as being with him and him being with me. I think that's where the storytelling that I grew up with, which would come from a woman, an Espers woman, who presumably is my aunt. Named Mary Blue, I grew up valuing those stories, and those stories taught me ways to be. They didn't tell me how to be, and that I think that's in the book actually. That Nesper stories, I think most Native stories, don't end with, and that's what is. It's and that's how it was. They're just descriptions of processes but the processes are ongoing and i never could explain when i taught english at msu and elsewhere i could never explain people always want to know what is a book about and my only answer was about 300 pages it's there's a book is not about something when you read the odyssey you're not getting to something you're getting a story that is teaching you an awful lot um when you read Ernest Gaines, I think Ernest Gaines is one of our finest writers, by the way, because these are all processes which, which allow us, I think, to expand our humanity, to expand. Not It's not just tolerance, but it is tolerance. But that's what education is supposed to do, and that's why there are some people who want to kill off education,
0: yeah, I mean, you do talk about words in your book. And, it, and the first major section is the power of words, their uses meaning. Yeah. and meaning. And it's also a theme that runs through all of your book. So what yeah. do you think makes words so powerful? I don't
1: know what makes words so powerful. But what we ought to want is for words to matter, to be powerful. And I, I think you can judge, not judge negatively. I'm not saying you hate them or anything like that. You can judge people on the way they use language and you can, you can appreciate them or evaluate them or whatever word you want to use by the ways in which they engage with language, because language is all we have. I mean, people are always going around saying math is a language and no math isn't a language. Math is a descriptor and it's very useful. And we do use it, but it doesn't tell us what the world is. It just is another way of engaging with the world. Language, I think, and reading and writing for people puts us in a relationship that is unlike any other relationship. A writer needs a reader and and a reader needs a writer. And the writer should be honored that the reader needs him or her. But I don't like writers who don't caress their words, don't love their language. And I really do. There are, there are some books that are staggeringly good because of the way in which the writer puts words on a page. And we live in a world which is trying to, I think, take that away. We're trying to turn everything into data, internet information, but not engagement. I mean I can read a, I can read a book, even the book itself isn't something I think is a great book, but there'll be a sentence here or a sentence there, and you think, "Wow, that's where he or she got it." And of course the problem with being a writer is when you think, "Oh, that's where I got it, you've got to cut it." <laughs> <laughs> because you're probably being a pompous ass. I mean, you know, at least that's, that's sort of the way I look at it. If I like a sentence or a paragraph too much, it better go, or I better disguise it, hide it somewhere. You know. And my son, I, I can't believe, I just read his blurb for his book. He sent it to me and said, dad, what do you think? And I can't believe how well he uses words. And I hope that I had some influence there. I don't know. And I never will. The one thing I will know is that when I'm dead, they won't forget me. (laughs) They'll still hear the words. As my son says, we'll still get to airports early, Dad. I hope they value the storytelling, though, and the stories.
0: So you, going down though, the idea about words a little bit, you seem to have different feelings toward different types of words. You prefer perhaps names and nouns, pronouns, not so much. So what do you think is the value of one versus another, or how do we use them differently?
1: I try to stay away from pronouns is the answer to your question, because there are so many people who are, in my opinion, overly sensitized to them. It's like an example for me would be the word Indian. I worked with, I mean, with the Native program here, and they're mostly Anishinaabe and, and Michigan Indians, which is to be expected, I suppose. Um, um, but, you know, you, didn't, you always had to say Native, Native American. But there's, I think I say this in the book, there is no Native American about it. They're Native. I mean, they, we were here first, you know? So the American came along and he didn't even America for didn't even make it to America. If somebody wants to say Indian, and I do because it's just easy shorthand, um, I've run into so many non-Indians who want to tell me that, oh, well, we really ought to use other terminology. I don't want to get hung up in, the, in terminology. I want to get hung up in words. Pronouns are fine. They're useful. We need them in sentences. But uh, I got tired of, like in academic essays, and I did publish a few of those, of having to put he or she, she or he. And I finally got to putting S slash H-E or H slash I-T, which, of course, was my feeling about all of that stuff. (laughs) What about the ideas? What about the words that matter? And pronouns matter if we use them to to hurt and in the first essay the nick of names we use nicknames and it says because that is where the word comes from it means an increase have i answered any of your
2: questions (laughs) you have indeed you've answered very thoroughly (laughs) (laughs) too thoroughly (laughs)
1: anyway (laughs) i'm glad i've answered
2: yes (laughs) <laughs> you have a wicked sense of humor that shines through the book, especially when it's aimed at bureaucracies and some practices in the oh. education system. One recurring uh, character is Stan Dards, who was run down by a texting yeah. suburban mom. Sorry yeah. for the spoilers, listeners. Yeah. What is it that you think we're missing now that Stan is gone? And do you think we can ever resurrect him?
1: I don't know. I think we ought to resurrect them or else we're going to be driving over bridges that fail. We're going to be getting on planes where one engine falls off. And that's just the kind of thingy world. People would come to me and say, how do I do better? And this is mean, but I would, if a student did it too often, I'd say, look, go back to kindergarten, start all over, and this time pay attention. And standards are involved with that. But we've got parents now who think of children as succeeding if they Basically, they make money, but money can also be be grades, because grades, they see as a path to money. And money is fun to have, but only enough of it. You really don't need to be a billionaire. You don't even need to be a multimillionaire. I don't see the point. I'd rather take a nap. I mean, Napping is important. So standards? You no, know, I think I think standards got run over, and of course got run over by somebody texting as they were driving down the road.
0: We do judge ourselves by standards, don't we? Another section of your book is titled "Not Nobody." Being not nobody seems to be a sort of middle ground between being nobody or being somebody, famous or well known. Why do you think, and, and these words are capitalized, not nobody is the preferred path?
1: Well, that's that's of course you picked the one the one essay I chose to take excerpts from to read because every everybody is somebody if they if they act and not nobody really is right out of Homer. You don't want to be the target of the Cyclops. You don't want to be the person who blinded Poseidon's son. I want to be, and William Kennedy talked a lot. And I do mention him in the essay. He talked a lot about being not nobody because for years he wrote these novels that had bums in Albany. That's the way he used to describe it. He was a wonderful man, by the way. And nobody wanted to publish him. know, when he did get published, he realized he had a choice. He could be somebody or he could be not nobody. And not nobody is what I think I would hope to be. Because it's a person who does what he or she wants. And that word want carries a wish and a lack in it. But why would anybody want to be somebody? Do you want to be Joseph Biden? I don't. You'd have to get up at 5 a.m. every morning and deal with people like Putin. I'd rather get up at 5 in the morning and deal with people like you or, or see my grandchildren or... Just listen to the birds. I have a lot of bird feeders outside. So not nobody, I think is a good thing. I think a a plumber who takes his or her plumbing seriously is not nobody. I think somebody who designs those aircraft I mentioned before is not nobody. All I want is enough money for me. And when I'm not around for my wife to be able to buy food and in her case, buy some bowls, she loves bowls, and buy presents for her grandchildren. That's her real failing in life, is buying presents for her grandchildren. Well, there are many worse failings, right?
0: So you mentioned you're still writing a lot. What are you working on now? You mentioned a novel and some other projects?
1: Yeah, I have. Clara and I went to the bookstore, and she bought a book that is about some kids and They're kind of orphaned and they go about building a life for themselves and in a relationship with this town somewhere out West. And she really liked it. And I thought, well, there's nothing complicated about that book. It doesn't even have consistencies or the kinds of things you need to try to get into novels. So I'll try to write one. And I did, but I failed miserably. It's still on my computer, of course, but it kept getting more complicated. It had climate change in it. It had a rattlesnake that talked in it. So I was working on it. And then, you know, one of those either uh uh-oh or aha moments, whichever it was, I I went back to the novel that I've I've got that's titled The Call of Crow, Cry of the Jaguar. All I can say is I'm working on that. And I'm having fun with it, I guess. I mean, I wake up in the morning thinking about it. um, uh, And it's sometimes... I'll be talking to one of my family members and they'll see me kind of drift off. And that's because part of my mind is going over to work on that. Uh, And I do think, I I do have a couple of essays for a book titled Travels with Charlie. Charlie is my grandson. There's a museum in Oslo that has some Matisses in it. Five Matisses in one room. They're all the dancers, they're all various. And I love Matisse. Matisse is outside of Rembrandt, but Matisse is pretty much my main guy. I want to take him to Oslo, and I want to take him to the Uffizi in Florence, where there are some Rembrandts that are staggering. I think that's in the Not Nobody essay, actually. There are so many places in the world where we can learn a lot about our humanity and our relationship to it. So I, I was thinking travels would be a way for me to go around Would you like to read a little bit of Raising Bean for the audience? I'll do my best. This is from Not Nobody. Um, And this is also about bureaucracies. (laughs) This is Be All That You Can Be Week in Claire Bean School. Some fool from the local university's education department spent the afternoon telling Beaner's class that they could be all they wanted to be. An adaptation of the U.S. Army's Be All That You Can Be. To inculcate this idea into the little vats of bone and blood sitting cross-legged on the gymnasium floor, they chanted, you are somebody, over and over and in between. Being what one wants to be is not the same thing as being all that one can be. The slogans not only involve the differences between can and want, but also involves taking long and honest looks at the basic material out of which the can may be made. Ms. Fickle said we can be anything we want in the modern world now today. I feel the tension in Bean's grip. She knows how much I object to verbal constructions that try to use here and nowness to gain the veneer of importance while denying the old hattedness of once were good ideas developed over years, even centuries. Bean knows that I think that human beings have changed little since the hairy dawn of Space Odyssey 2001. They certainly do the same things like love or hook up, fight and argue, disagree and agree, and with careful thinking and possibly education, grow less intolerant. No matter how much money Big Pharma invests, they still grow old and die. Miss Fickle says we should want to be somebody, to be important and to change the world. What does Mrs. Weary say? Nothing. Wise choice, I think. She made us all say what it was we wanted to be. Did you say anything? She shrugged, shook her head. No, she hadn't. She'd learned the lessons of odysseus that shouting out your name and origins can wreak havoc on your travel plans. At first, the man known as a master storyteller told the one-eyed monster, Polyphemus, that his name was Nobody. And Polyphemus, enamored of the importance of names and branding, went around laughing at Nobody while eating Odysseus's men two by two. Cleverly, he and his last six crewmen hang below the fleecy bellies of the Cyclops' fattened sheep, and when the monster rolls aside the massive stone to allow the sheep out to graze the next day, they are free to run to their ship and row out beyond the grasp of the Cyclops, where, in a moment of hubris, Odysseus shouts back at the monster that his name is not nobody, but Odysseus, son of Laertes, From Ithaca, getting for his proud foolhardiness, a massive boulder thrown at him by Polyphemus, barely missing his ship. Worse, going from nobody to somebody allows Polyphemus to protest to dad about his blinding. And dad just happens to be Poseidon, who, though he cannot keep Odysseus from Ithaca and home because Athena protects her favorite hero, can and does throw storms and tempests at Odysseus, wrecking his ship and killing his crew, Leaving the Greek hero alone to float to the shores of an unknown island, doubling Odysseus's 10 year homecoming journey to 20 years. It is this dangerous shift from nobody to somebody that the writer William Kennedy talks about. After years of rejection, getting blank looks from inquisitors who wanted to know what he had published, not written, but published for the grand sums all writers who matter get, Kennedy described himself as not nobody it's important to note Kennedy's wisdom and perspicuity. The movement from nobody to not nobody is not the same as the movement from nobody to somebody. A sudden leap from nobody to somebody is a jump into a chasm that is dark with narcissism and self-regard, and demands even to the extreme of corruption, sycophancy, and an almost psychopathic childishness the trumpeting of one's name in the misty fog blurring his lack of accomplishment. It leaves a writer as well as a person who previously learned balance and philosophy and humility stunned by imbalance and egotism. Talent which derives from balance or a sum of money is not an aptitude or skill, but a means of exchange, and as such requires at least two people, a buyer and a seller, a reader and a writer, a giver and a taker, Bring the part of talent that is balanced, the taking is more of an accepting and not a getting. Faulkner needed his editor to edit, to bring the sound into balance with the fury. I agree with Macbeth that life struts and frets its hour, a tale told by an idiot, or can be. But I don't agree that all life signifies nothing. Maybe it's the Indian in me, Bean, but all the love we've exchanged is not nothing, and I think life is the presence or absence of love. Apart from that, in conjunction with William Kennedy's wisdom and humor about becoming not nobody, it raises questions. Does one want, truly want, to be somebody? The scale we choose should, with some foresight and parental or teacherly guidance, match the circumference of our happiness. It is all there in Sartre's Freedom and Responsibility. It is all there in Ernest Gaines's novels or William Melvin Kelly's or Evan Connell Jr.'s none of whom shout out their names or origins to the one-eyed monster of commerce that would devour them with the pressure to write another book just like the last one or consume their time and energy with the attempt to publicly brand their name. None of them is a celebrity, a somebody whose name is, for good or for ill, recognized by hundreds or thousands or millions of people. Each of them is not nobody, though. Each of them contributes to the project that is humanity. Being spoken well of is what you ought to seek to earn humbly by being. If you're made to be somebody, then accept the burden. But for heaven's sakes, don't shout out your name to the monstrous Polyphemus. And I think I'll stop there.
0: W.S. Penn, thank you so much for yeah. joining us.
1: I hope I gave you something worth having.
0: You did indeed. Thank you again.
1: <laughs> well, you never know. So, anyway, thanks so much for doing this.
2: Thanks for joining us. Look for more episodes of All Right in Sin City wherever you listen to podcasts, or check out our website, allrightinsincity.com. For information and announcements of new podcasts, sign up to our email list or follow us on Facebook and Twitter.